thump, 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 I hear the feet, sound of many feet, of many people rising up to take the gospel to the world. Come on, you're those feet. You're part of those feet. I'm part of those feet. We're, we're not just here for us. Though God blesses us, my goodness, you're here for those you will impact. Just like Dylan was sharing that testimony this morning. There are people for you to impact. And you don't hear the sound in the spirit. That's the sound of... Yes. The sound of many feet. It's not just my feet. It's not just Toast's feet. It's not just Mitch's feet. It's not just John's feet. It's not just Pastor Wendy's feet. It's our feet. And it's the sound of a mighty army rising up. Come on. Come on. It's the sound of a mighty army rising up. Come on. The sound in this house is the sound of revival. It is the sound of energy, and it will increase in energy. Whew. And a passion. There is a passion in our hearts that is going to grow, and it's going to increase. And God is raising up fathers and mothers who will lay hands on and will prophesy over the lives of teenagers and young adults. For God is rising up a young sound in this time and in this season. For he is raising up an army. Go ahead and say, tramp, tramp, tramp. My feet will go. Oh, what did the Apostle Paul said? He said, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. Whew, how beautiful. Your feet are not something that we generally call beautiful. Come on. But do you know what Jesus did to his disciples? One of his final acts before he was arrested, he washed their feet. He took off his garments. He got down at their feet. And for a Jew, you don't, you don't get, a, get play with other people's dirty feet. You know, you come into the house, you come into the, 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 the gathering, and they have buckets there, and they're like, wash your feet. Don't bring your stinky feet in here. That's because they were walking on those dirt roads. They were, and their, their sandals and their feet would get messy, and they didn't want to track it in. And so Jesus, he cleansed his disciples' feet, not because they, they, it was part of the ceremony. He was preparing the beautiful feet to be released on the world. It was a symbolic act. Go ahead and say, the sound in this house is the sound of revival. It is the sound of energy. And it will increase in energy. In Jesus' name. Well, this morning we're going to continue on in our series that was never meant to be a series. It just kind of ended up happening that way. Go ahead and say, I am not ignorant. And three weeks ago now, I, I had intended to preach a message, and I, I had written it, I had got a nice little bow put on it, and I was ready to go, and I, that was like Thursday morning, and then I was praying with Garnet that afternoon, and he's like, oh, so where are we going this weekend now that we're done with hunger? And I was like, after that prayer time, there was just an unsettling in me, like, no, there's a different direction that God was wanting to pull us. And so we went that direction, and it's gone from one message now into three, and it's kind of like God's starting to weave that original message right back in. But go ahead and say again, I am not ignorant. I am not ignorant. 
And what we're talking about is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his devices. He wants to take advantage of you. He wants to use you to tear others down. He wants to use you to create division in your family, division at your workplace, division in society. He wants to use you. But it says that lest he should take advantage, meaning he cannot do it, he does not have the advantage unless you give it to him. And so we started out in week one that he wants to keep you ignorant of who you are in Christ Jesus. He wants to keep you ignorant in who God has made you to be. Go ahead and say, I am who he says I am. I can do what he says he can, I can do. And I can have what he says I can have. Just because the enemy doesn't want you to know, the best, best weapon against that is learning who you are. Who you are in Christ Jesus. Who you've been made to sit together with in heavenly places. Man. Whew. Knowledge is power. You know, and it can't be taken away from you. And as soon as you know, you become a bigger threat to the kingdom of the enemy than you could ever imagine. He doesn't care if you don't know. You know, people that aren't interested in knowing what God said about them, the enemy's not really concerned about them. He's just going to use them, manipulate them, but as soon as you know, you just became a threat. But that's not something to fear, because when you know who you are, you realize he's under your feet already defeated man as we as we read in isaiah chapter 14 it says that when he's revealed the nations are going to say is this him that guy seriously he was what everybody was afraid of there's no fear here you don't need to be afraid of him he's been whipped he's been licked he's got a severe head wound <laughs> said jesus bruised his heel on his head Squished his head, bruised Jesus' heel, and Jesus said, that little pain was worth it. Come on. Come on. You know, when Jesus came and sacrificed himself and died on the cross for us, the devil thought he won. And then Jesus went down to hell, and the devil's like, man, I'm going to have my way with him. And then the glory of God hit that place. Split the grave wide open. And it says that if he had known, he never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Why? Because instead of one Jesus, he now has sons and daughters of God all over the world. Multiplying at a rate in which he cannot combat. He doesn't want you to know who he is. He doesn't want you to know who you are. But he's defeated. And last week we were talking about... If he can't get you off, he likes to try and throw people in your way. He'll stir up who he can stir up. And that's an important message because sometimes he'll use you to stir up crap. Just let's be honest. There's been times in your past where you started fights and you're like, well, I don't even know why I'm doing this. You know, I don't even know why I'm, you know, I just came like I felt like I needed to fight. You know, you got to be careful the source that you're listening to and what you're letting stir it up. Because if he's going to throw people in your path, he's going to try and use you to throw in other people's path. Go ahead and say, not me. Not me. I'm, not I'm not ignorant. 
And today, I want to go in a little bit different direction. When you know who you are, he can't use you. When you know who he is, you're like, you're not a problem. When you recognize that he's going to try and use people against you, you can be like, it's okay. Just because they're trying to stir things up doesn't mean I need to take the bait. Do I need to say that again? Just because I know that he's going to stir people up doesn't mean I need to take the bait. And so today, I want to talk about when you become your own worst enemy. You know that he's really not your biggest problem? You are. You know, what's that old show, The Devil Made Me Do It? Yeah. The devil didn't make you do it. Most of the time, you chose to do things. And when we allow habits and thought processes to stay in us that shouldn't be in us, we end up sacrificing and shortcutting ourselves and becoming our own worst enemy. We know that in John 10.10, it says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus comes that you might have life, and life more abundantly. But both of those things are predicated on your acceptance of which direction you want to go. Come on. Come on. I know this is like, man, you're telling me that I can be my own problem? Yeah, of course. Of course. But you know, you can also be your own solution. It goes both ways. The door swings both ways. And so I want you to turn with me this morning over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, and we're going to start in verse 38. gave you time to get there here we go verse 38 says now it happened as they went that they entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house now this is kind of interesting when you look at the language that Luke wrote here he said a certain village and a certain woman he could have just said entered the village of Bethany, because we know that's where he lived, where she lived. Could have said that it was his friend, Martha, but he didn't. He said, it's a certain village and a certain woman. And you may be saying, who gives a rip, Pastor Jordan? It's important. Words are important. The words that come out of your mouth are important, and the words that he wrote are there for a reason, and they are important if you just care to look a little bit beneath the sur surface. And so he said it's a certain village, and the Greek word that he used here for certain is a very specific word. It can mean just like any random village, or it can mean one to be somebody or somebody of importance. And so when Luke says that they went to the certain village, it's in a village that is important to Jesus. And when it says that it's a certain woman, it's a woman that is important to Jesus. So it's not just any vi village. It's the village of Bethany where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Jesus' best friends, lived. It's actually one of the places where he spent most of his time. It's right beside the Mount of Olives. It's on the southern slope. It's about two miles from the city of Jerusalem. And rather than stay in the city where all the Pharisees are like, how dare you do that, Jesus? What do you think you are? Who do you think you are? He would always just be like, I need some peace. I need to get out of here. And he would go to Bethany. 
And he would visit his friends. He would go onto the Mount of Olives and he would take time alone to pray. This is a place that is important to Jesus and this is a person who's important to Jesus. And when we look at how this word is used, we only ever see it another time in the Bible used in a negative form instead of the positive form we find with Martha. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 36, this is the, the, the chief priests are talking about what are we going to do about these disciples that are taking, using the name of Jesus and doing the same things that he did. We need to stop them. And one of them stands up and says, well, for some time ago, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him, and he was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. And so the chief priest used here, he's like, he thought he was somebody, but when we're talking about Luke chapter 10, 38, it's not that they think they're somebody, it's they are somebody. And the first thing we need to talk about, if you're going to be your own worst enemy, let's go ahead and combat against that. And remember, you are important to Jesus. Come on, go ahead and say that with me. I am important to Jesus. And I came across this quote from Brother Hagin this morning that Mark Hankins was telling people that he had said. And it says, anytime you feel mistreated, you know the devil is working on you. But Pastor Jordan, I am being mistreated. That may be so, but there's a difference between being mistreated and feeling, letting it on the inside of you, letting it become part of your identity. They mistreated me so bad. My parents were so mean. My school teachers just weren't very nice. That's getting on the inside of you. There's a difference between an event and an identity. And when you feel, oh, they're just, nobody's being nice to me. That's the devil trying to stir you up to become your own worst enemy. And that's why it's important for us to know that we are somebody to Jesus. Because when you feel mistreated, it's like, who cares what everybody else thinks? The one that matters feels better about me than they do. Come on. Think about what Peter said about Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. It says, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Here, this is what the Berean translation says. It says, when they heaped abuse on him, he did not retaliate. You know, the book of Isaiah said that he was silent as he went to the cross. And he did not revile them. Why? Because it doesn't matter what others may try and do to you. It matters about who you are to God and what you believe about yourself. What did David say in Psalm 118.6? He says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Come on, that's a mentality we've got to take on. What can men do to me? It doesn't matter how many are against you. That's right. It says that there can be a thousand on one side and ten thousand on the other, but I'm still good. That I find my refuge and my safety in the arms of the Almighty God. It says the righteous run into him and are safe. And so when you feel like you've been mistreated, you know that the devil's trying to work on you. But what do we know? Lest he take advantage of us, we're not ignorant of his, de- 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 his devices. Let's get the word straight. Ignorant of his devices. 
So when that feeling's present, you know who's at work. It's not God. So if it's not God, don't grab on. And how many of us have taken a feeling and chased it so far down the road? Come on. That we now live in a, a world that actually doesn't exist in any place other than right up here. And we take on an identity that he never said about you. And you believe things about yourself that nobody even thinks about you. You know that most people don't even give you a second tossing thought. Well, don't say that, Pastor Jordan. I want to feel loved. <laughs> Seriously, though. You know that when some people put on clothes in the morning, like, oh, it just doesn't look right. People are going to think less of me if I wear this. They probably won't even know what you're wearing. My hair's not brushed just right. Nobody noticed. Come on. But the enemy wants you to notice and you to think and you to be like, it's just not right. It's just not right. Come on. The peace of God, which passes understanding, it'll guard my heart and my mind. And when you feel mistreated, it's important to remember what we said last week. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Meaning we put the focus where the focus should be. When you have that feeling, you say, shut up in Jesus' name. That's not who I am. That's not how I feel. The joy of the Lord goes before me. His favor surrounds me. It prepares a place for me before I even enter the room. That when I walk in, there's already an atmosphere for me to operate in. And it's an atmosphere of your glory, Lord. It's your presence. It is an atmosphere of peace and understanding and comfort when I get around others it's like their hearts just open up and they just begin to reveal their hurts and I get to pray for them I get to build them up I get to strengthen them and we realize that as we begin to combat those thoughts of being mistreated we God gets to turn it around and use you to build others come on and so he wants you to have those inner thoughts I'm not enough. I just can't do it. Nobody loves me. I'm all alone. There's nobody here besides me. But I know that that's just the lies of the enemy. Come on. I realize this isn't as rah-rah as the other ones, but this is important. He wants to turn you against yourself so that you don't have a firm foundation to stand in faith because faith isn't based upon how you feel faith is based upon the word of God and what he has said about you but if you're stuck in your feelings you won't step into faith and it will be faith that moves the mountain in front of you not your feelings so even if you wake up feeling busted and disgusted today go ahead and say I'm not moved I'm gonna stand on the word of God that says I am a more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus that I always triumph I always win that I'm going over or we can put the words of David on our mouth that I can run through a troop and I can leap over a wall it doesn't matter if there's an army stand in front of me I'm going through anyways if it's a wall I'll kick it down I'll jump over it. I'll do whatever I have to but I'm not gonna stay in the feelings because the Word of God is higher than your feelings come on that's why Solomon said Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it springs 
springs of life. We don't really want to drink the waters that are flowing from some people's hearts. Come on. Say it with me again. I am important to Jesus. You know, this is what Paul said, and he was quoting the prophet Hosea, who's not one of those books that you really read a lot, right? You know, I, I was thinking about you have the major and the minor prophets, and the only difference of significance between them is the major prophets said more than the minor prophets. And so Hosea only said a little bit, but here's something he did say. He's speaking what God was saying to him, and this is what God said to Hosea. I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. I think you just missed it there. What does he call you? Beloved. You are beloved. If the world doesn't love you, that's okay. He does. He calls you his beloved. But do you know that there's a response to that? You want to know what the response is? Be loved. Come on. When you feel like nobody loves you, what's the solution? Be loved. Because he is loving you right now hasn't changed his opinion about you he still believes great things about you he says that you have a good future a future and a hope and so the solution to feeling not loved is to let yourself be loved by God you know when I think about how Paul would start all of his letters which we call epistles but they're just letters that he wrote to churches and he wrote to people you notice he never said hello church at Ephesus how are you what their response would be he always started telling them who they were not asking how they were you know somebody once asked Smith Wigglesworth he's like how's Smith doing this morning he said I don't ask Smith how he is I tell Smith how he is and that'd be some good wisdom for us to take whatever you feel tell yourself how you feel when we, a lot of us walked in today, it's like, oh, it's a cold one out there, feeling a little tired, it's a little dark. You know what? That's how you felt. Yeah. Now we've come to tell ourselves how we feel. I am alive, I am well, I am joyful, I am expectant, I am the loved of the Lord, I am his chosen one, I'm one of his kings and priests on this earth, I am more than a conqueror, I'm going over. That's how I tell myself instead of asking myself how I feel. And so Paul never said Ephesians, Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, whoever. He didn't say, how are you? He did this. He said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, so at least they knew who was writing to them, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. He said there is grace that is abounding to you. There is peace for you right now. He goes on, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And so rather they, they made, I don't know what, what they were feeling when they got the letter, but when they opened it up, immediately Paul was going, hey guys, I don't know what you were doing, but hey, you're coming for a journey with me, and it's a journey of hope, it's a journey of expectancy. He said, you are blessed. Yes. Didn't ask their feeling, he said, you are blessed. 
and not with just a few blessings. He said every blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he didn't leave it there. It's not like he had a short opening. He went right after it, right away. And he said, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Go ahead and say, I'm chosen. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Predestined? That means God was already thinking about you long before you ever even existed. And so when you feel small and you feel marginalized, just remember, oh my goodness, even before I was a glint in my parents' eyes, God was already like, I love them, I choose them, I want them, I've got plans for them. And he said, according to the good pleasure of his will, meaning how he felt about it. And he didn't say it was just like an okay joy. He said, good pleasure. Oh, come on. That's what, when he thinks about you, he doesn't think like, you just passed the bar. Come on. It was good pleasure. It was an overflowing amount of joy that he feels towards you. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. He didn't say that you accepted your position in the beloved. He said he made you. Didn't give you in a choice. You can't make him love you because he already does. And guess what? You can't make him stop. Whew. And he said, in him, we have redemption. Just so you know, we're still in his introduction. We're still in Paul's hello. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Not even just a trickle, he said abound, an overflow, a superabundance of grace made abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Meaning that he thought about it and he had a measured response. And his measured response wasn't just enough, it was a more than enough. That's amazing. That's God's measured response. Is more than enough, not just enough. And that's why we have to renew our minds to think like him. He thinks bigger than you. His measured response was more than enough. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him I purposely wanted to use that scripture this morning because it just been has been coming out of us over the last few weeks that every time I preach I remind you that you have been raised up and you've been made to sit together with him in heavenly places. And in our minds we think like, well, I'm here on earth and he's there in heaven. But here it says that he's gathered us together in one, in Christ. Both the ones that are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. 
you may be physically with your body and your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions right here on this earth, but spiritually, you are seated together with him in heavenly places. You have dual citizenships, and you exist in two places at the same time. One hand, you're touching earth. One hand, you're touching heaven. Which one do you want to live out of? Because he's gathered them all together, the ones that are already in heaven and the ones that are on earth, in him. So we live out of an in him reality. Come on, we're still in his introduction. He didn't ask how they were. He told them how they were. And it says in him, which we just said that we are in him. In him, we've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things and according to the counsel of his will. You need to understand what that just said. He didn't ask your consult. He didn't ask for your input. He said it, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. We have to understand the implications of that. When God says you're blessed, he didn't ask for your input. When he said, I've healed you by my stripes, he didn't ask for your input. When he said, I supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus, he didn't ask for your input, he's asking for your agreement. There's a big difference. It says that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. When the world looks at the church, they should be seeing it as the praise of his glory. He wants you to be his shining jewels, his examples in this earth that they can see, oh, there is a better way. Let's read those last two verses out of the message translation to give it a little different perspective. Verse 11 and 12 says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are, and what we are living for. That's, that's enough to stop and think right there. And what we're living for. So many people in this world right now are saying, why am I here? There's no purpose in living. People are slipping off in despair and losing hope because they've been trying to fulfill that call and that hope in their own strength. And when we understand who we are and what we're living for, it shines before them. And they're like, oh my goodness, I can have hope. It is not the end. I don't need to kill myself. I don't need to separate myself from the world. There is hope. And that hope, his name is Jesus. I know who I am and I know what I'm living for. And that question, what am I here for, has driven multitudes of people to Jesus. Because the world can't answer that. They can give you a job. They can give you a little bit of comfort sometimes. They can give you a, a little bit of fun. But they can't answer that question of what I'm looking for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, which means that when you've heard about Christ, your hope should be up, not down. Right? I need to say that again. Long before you heard of Christ and got your hopes up, because the hope should be up, we have a confident hope, a confident expectation in Christ. Yes. He had his eye on us. 
had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. He's got his eye on you. You are seen. You are loved. And you are important to Jesus. Verse 13 back in the New King James says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. And so if the trust level has begun to wane and begin to lower, go back to the word of truth. Because trust came after hearing the word of truth. And that's by faith. That's what trust is, right? Faith is just believing and trusting what God said is true. That's what faith is. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. That word hearing and hearing is really just one word, and it's a progressive hearing. Meaning, once you read it and you heard it, let it ring around in your head. Let it stir in your spirit. Let it anchor you back to what is actually true. I am loved. I am accepted. I am beloved. I am somebody to Jesus. In whom you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. You weren't sealed with your ability to do it. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So just like Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's do those last two verses again in the message translation. It says, it is in Christ that you, say me, once you heard the truth and believed it, the message of your salvation found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment on what's coming. A reminder that will get everything God has planned for us. A praising and glorious life. Woo, a first installment. <laughs> That's great. We all know how that works for us paying, right? You know, we paid our first installment on our mortgage. And our second and our third. You've got to understand that Christ is paying things the other direction. He's filling your life with good things. Installment after installment after installment. For those who just say, yep, God, I believe it. I receive it. I choose to walk in your love for me and your abundance provision, which you didn't ask for my counsel on. You just chose to do it. Come on. Go ahead and say it with me. I am important to Jesus. So, Luke chapter 10. <laughs> Thought I forgot about it, right? Now it happened as they went that they entered a certain village, a village that was important to Jesus, and a certain woman named Martha. So a woman who was important to Jesus, named Martha, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now I want to blow your mind here for a second. You ready? You ready? You ready? Why does everyone say that Mary was Jesus' favorite? The Bible never said that but it did say that Martha was important to him. Come on. Mary often gets a better testimony, but Jesus was working together with Martha to sort her stuff out. And he does that for people he loves, people who are important to him. And so you should expect him to 
show up in your life. You should show up, expect him to show up in the situations of your life and help you sort them out. Because he does that for people who are important to him. And Martha was important to him. And so we often look at Martha in the story we're about to finish in a second, and we look down on her and we praise Mary. How would we like that in our own lives? How would you like for your mess up to be enshrined forever in the Bible? Come on. <laughs> so let's, let's be a little less judgmental on Martha. She gets a bad rap. Like even just, we were at a funeral recently, and Pastor Wendy was busy serving some people, and somebody said, oh, ever the Martha. Like, no, that was a good place for her to be doing. Those people needed some help in that time. Just because you're doing something doesn't make you a, oh, you're a Martha. Come on. How many people have heard people talked about like that? Come on. Don't. Martha has purpose. Martha was loved. And so in this story, Mary is the also. Martha was the focus. Called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But, next verse. Martha was distracted with much serving. What was happening here is Jesus came to see Martha, and Martha was too busy. You've all been there. Don't have time right now, God, when you're feeling that little urging on the inside. Slow down, slow down. I don't have time to slow down, God. Come on. We'll get back to putting some honey on there to, you know, sweeten things back up. We've all been in this position where Jesus is drawing us to something and we have more going on. And we're just like, don't have time for that. Now, the things that Martha was doing were fully expected of her in this situation. When a guest comes to your home, what do you do? You serve them. You make some food. You're preparing Jesus had an appointment with Martha, and that's what made it wrong. Not that she was serving. Jesus came to see her. And that's how we can end up being our own worst enemy. I just got to do this, though. It's expected of me. That's okay. Do the unexpected. Pause. I'm here, Jesus. Speak to my heart. Set me in your ways. What would you have me to know? What do I need to know, God? You just want me to wait? I'll wait here in your presence. You want me to worship? I'll just worship here in your presence. You want me to go to that neighbor and just be an encouragement for them? I'll do that, God. Whatever he calls you to do, he's going to walk you through the process together. And if the enemy can't take you out, he prefers you to be too busy. Too busy for your neighbors, too busy for God, too busy for everything. And that's why we've been called that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And then they'll rise up like eagles. If you want to fly, you're going to have to take some time sometimes. Let your heart be transformed. Let some healings go on in your inner person the wounds of life come on I don't know who needs to hear that this morning 
but he will be a healing balm to your heart when you're in his presence. Hallelujah. There's a melody that's been on my heart since Thursday. I'm not going to miss a thing. I'm here with you, Lord. I'm lockstep with you right where I need to be. I'm not going to miss a thing. I want all that you have for me. So I come running. And I'm not going to miss a thing. And so we get moving. I got to do this. I got to do that. Recognize the moments where Jesus showed up for you. And his presence is already here this morning. Right now, it's already working on your heart. It's softening those edges. He just wants to work with you. And so Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And therefore, tell her to help me. You know, when you get yourself stirred up, often it overflows and gets angled at others. And so you've got to recognize that when people are going off at you, it's like, no, this is not necessarily about me. There's something going on in them. Give me the right words, God. How, how can I soften them and turn them and remind them of your love? The, do, do you not care? You know, we know that statement from the disciples, right? Jesus said, we're going to the other side, get in the boat. And then Jesus falls asleep and he's resting. And a storm rises up and the water's coming in the boat and it looks like they're going to drown. And they wake Jesus up and they say, don't you care that we're about to die? But what did he say? We're going to the other side. And he just got up and said, peace to the storm. So you'll probably hear some, don't you care? Why won't you focus on this that I want to focus on? And so the, the distraction that was in Martha, she was then trying to impart to Mary. And Jesus wasn't going to have it. He, he said, Martha, Martha, you're worried about and troubled about many things. And he said, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. One thing. Everyone say one thing. It won't be taken away from her. It won't be taken away from her. I love how the message translation says this verse. It says, one thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it, and it's the main course, and it won't be taken from her. What have we been saying this year? Hunger brings you to the table of the master. It won't be taken from you. When there's a hunger that's on the inside of you, it'll draw you in, and you won't make, miss those moments. You won't be like, oh, wait, I'm hungry. Table I go. I'm going to the master. I'm going to sit down. You know, the one thing was essential. It was the main course. It was what's important. That doesn't mean that other things weren't important, but it was the main thing. Dessert later, main course first, Jesus. And so there was a duty in Martha, but there was a hunger in Mary. And we have to know that those words that Jesus said to her were spoken in such a way of love and such a way of healing that it changed Martha that day. When he said, Martha, Martha, you're worried, but one thing is important. Because you know, the next time we see Martha, her brother's dead. 
and it's kind of funny when you think about the story. Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick. And he's like, it's okay, guys. And he waits more days. You think, don't you care, Jesus? Don't you care? Lazarus is sick. We got to go. And he's like, nope, we got to do some other things. And then he says to his disciples, we're going to go wake him up. And like, oh, if he's, if he's waking, if he's sleeping, it's okay. He'll get better if he's sleeping. He's resting it off. And Jesus is like, sorry, guys, he's dead. But we're going to go and raise him up. And so he gets there, and he's been dead for several days, in the grave for several days. And he meets Martha first. In ver- chapter 11, verse 20, it says, Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. That means the shoe's on the other foot this time. Last time, Mary sat, Martha fretted. This time, Martha came running. We know that those things that had her before had been healed. And she gets to Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. There was a hope. Come on. There was a hope rather than a duty. There was a hope that had been replaced. It's like, he, he wouldn't have died if you were here, but you're here now and that's enough. And when God has stepped into the situation, it doesn't matter what has transpired before then, everything can change in that moment. And right now, whatever your life has been up until this point, everything can change in this moment when we come to the table. I don't have to be my own worst enemy anymore. I don't have to let the enemy play games with my head. I know who I am. I know the hope I have in Jesus. And everything can change right now in this moment. And what does Jesus do? Lazarus, get up and come on out. And Lazarus comes out of the grave. Whatever was dead has now been made alive. That's the power of God in your life. Dead dreams come alive. Dead expectations be restored. But that doesn't mean that God was done with Mary. Just because Martha got her heart healed. Next time we see Mary in John 12, verse 1, it says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the certain village, the village that he loved that was important to him, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, and there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But this time no one was saying, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're distracted about many things. No, that was what she needed to be doing in that time. It was okay. She served, but Lazarus was the one who sat at the table with him. So each sibling of this family all had their own special moment with God. The first one, Martha, he came from Martha, and Mary took it. The next time, Martha came to him, and Mary missed it. And this time, Lazarus sat with him. Because it doesn't matter who you are, you all have your moment with God. He doesn't love more than some more than others. It says that he is no respecter of persons. And so don't look at yourself and say, well, I guess they lo- he loves Pastor Jordan no more. No, you are important to Jesus. And so Lazarus sits with him this time. And then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. 
this was a special moment, her anointing him for the grave. And it says the fragrance filled the place. You know that Paul said, and I believe it's 2 Corinthians, he says, God will diffuse the knowledge of him through you. That's to release his fragrance, his presence. Come on. If we go back to the first, no idea we were going to talk about these things this morning. If we go back to the first, how beautiful are the feet of him who spreads the gospel. And just the same way that Mary anointed Jesus' feet, your feet have been anointed for great healing things in Jesus' name. So go ahead and say this again with me. You, I, am important to Jesus. As one of my favorite psalms says, Psalm 27, 4, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing. Go ahead and say, I hunger. God, this morning we hunger for you. We hunger for those moments that you have, just you and us together, where you, you transform us, you change us from the inside out, that our, that our minds are renewed to your word, that our hopes are restored, that we do have a hope in you. God, we come running back to your table this morning. Come on, guys, I know this morning's been different than the last two we've had, but God doesn't want to leave you where you're at. He wants to restore your soul. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord, I'm not going to miss a thing. I'm right here with you. I'm not going to miss a thing. Come on, why don't you go ahead and stand on your feet this morning? Yes, I'm not going to miss a thing. I'm right here with you. Oh, I'm not going to miss a thing. Let's lift up our hands to the Lord and worship Him. I'm not going to miss a thing. I'm right here.
I felt the love of God this morning. There's just been a stirring in my heart and an expectation. Garnet was asking me how I was doing before service, and I said, there's just been something in my heart, such an expectation, almost like a pensiveness, like I just, they're standing on the edge of something, and it's just like, I don't understand the entire scope of what you have, God, but I'm willing to take that step. Hallelujah. I let your love in again. You captured my heart. I let your love in again. moment our word care team is going to be up here at the front you know the holy spirit does work in our hearts that we could never do on our own but if you need someone to believe with to agree with for anything if you need to celebrate with someone they're there to pray with you they would love to do that hallelujah well pastor robin you finish well glory Yes, and let my love, the depths of my love, wash over your heart and your mind. Let the revelation of my love grow deep in you. My hand is not short. My arm is not short. It's extended into every part of your life that you give me access to. So trust in me. Let my love flow deep in you. Glory. Glory to God. Well, for God so loved the world that he gave. So we're going to do that now too then. Amen. We're going to do what our Father God does to give and there's a couple ways you can do that there is uh you can go to wordchurch.ca forward slash give <laughs> that one <laughs> that one on the screen you can do that one and or an envelope in the seat in front of you and uh anyway uh, and god will bless you because you're sowing seed you will reap a harvest amen amen so let's say this together this is my seed I sow it into the kingdom of God. Seed, do what you do best, grow. I sow you to spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot. I sow you to grow, multiply, and grace supply. Harvest, I receive you. Lack, I resist you. His supply is sufficient. I walk in abundance of grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory be to God. Oh, you are blessed. You are blessed. With every spiritual blessing, heavenly places in Christ. Amen? Amen. If I ask you how you are, you'll say, I'm blessed. Amen? <laughs> I have a great week. We are here for, to pray with anyone, minister to anybody you want, want. So please come up for some prayer if you need it. And uh, we'll see you again next week.